Atheists, it is said, have said, that Christians are afraid of the dark, afraid to face reality as it is. Christians have retorted by saying, no, 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 it's the atheist. They are the way they are because they're afraid of the light. Why be afraid of the light? The Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 19 through 21 says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Graduating class of 2016, your aim is to be a light when all others go out. It's easy to be cynical about the lights of today. Let's take a look at some of them just for fun this morning and see if they are not flickering, maybe waning, maybe just about ready to go out. Will the politicians please stand forward? Any light there? Oh no, please stop scaring us with all the silly things they say in their campaign rhetoric. Well, let's look to the military. There's surely light there. Well, it'd be a fine day when they put as much effort into caring for our veterans as they do in recruiting our young people. Oh, that the lines at the recruiting office were as long and as delayed as the care for our veterans. But capitalism, capitalism will lead to wealth and prosperity for all. Not. Well, let's just work through the judicial system. Surely there's a light there. Why not? Let's just legalize everything. And then all will be well. No, 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 someone else has said, let's not do that. Let's lock up everyone in our beautiful prison system. Every addict, every morally deficient or challenged individual incarcerated behind bars. But then Scholzenitschens whispers to us, if you draw a line between good and evil, you will cut the heart of every human alive. So really, who would be behind those bars? But let's go on. Maybe it's the environmentalists that offer us some hope. Maybe they will save us from ourselves. I read a quote by one of them years ago. It said, the best thing about human beings is that they are biodegradable. Mm. Let's move on quickly. Um, what about... Um, what about the wall? The wall's all about the conversation nowadays. Let's build a wall from sea to shining sea. That'll help. That'll solve all the problems, won't it? Well, how did that work for the Chinese? Mm. How about for the Soviets? Mm. Maybe the Europeans ought to consider putting up another wall, this one running east to west, right down the middle of the Mediterranean, a boat-proof wall this time. That would solve all the problems. Not. Let's colonize Mars. We could all be aliens then. 
All of us aliens. Maybe we could turn it into a penal colony like Australia and just ship off all the, the ones we don't want to Mars and all the goody two-shoes could stay here in Bering Springs. I'm not so sure about that. Oh, I know, let's all get neural implants and hook ourselves up to the internet and let robots fight our wars, teach our kids, plant our crops, and build our homes. No. Here's the answer. Let's arm ourselves and kill everyone else in the world that's willing to kill for what they believe in. How would that turn out? If I do the logic on that one right, it actually ends up in suicide. Like I said, it's easy to be critical. It's easy to be cynical, but that does not reveal the whole truth about our situation. Would you really want to democracy for any other form of government? Taking cheap shots at our military on Memorial Day weekend is to forget all the evil that has been forced to its knees by the might of the United States military and her allies. We would not want to overlook that. And I am a capitalist. And no, I would not have wanted to have lived in Cuba for the last 50 years. And as for the environmentalists, well, you'll forgive me as a son of a lumberjack if I wait and take a let's see attitude towards their plan for us. And as for the wall, well, if it's built, at least Bansky will have more canvas. Colonizing Mars, becoming aliens. Ah, come on, are we really afraid of aliens? I'm married to one after all. A shout out to all of those of you who have green cards this morning. Can I just see your hands? Anybody here on a green card? Yes. Thank God for the Canadians and others. <laughs> Neural implants? Well, maybe. Maybe with them we'll be able to defeat Alzheimer and dementia. See, this is what bothers me about being in this world and in this life with the light we have and the light we don't have is my complicity with evil. It is that complicity with evil that makes me weary and wary, wary of others. It is the mix of good and evil, light and dark in my own heart, ambitions and accomplishments that leaves me frustrated, doubtful, and worried about our future. When I was a young lad, back when dinosaurs roamed the earth, flashlights and batteries were a premium in my house. Batteries cost a lot of money, I was told as a youngster, and flashlights should be used with caution. It should only be used when they need to be used. That's what the on and off switch was for, my father told me. Son, when you can't see, you turn the flashlight on. And when you see what needs to be seen, turn it off as quickly as you can and save the battery. To have the flashlight was a great privilege in my house. And one day, my dad asked me, he said, Son, I think your sister forgot to close the chickens in for the night. 
would you go out into the dark and close the chickens in for the night? You got to close chickens in for a night. Raccoons love chicken. In fact, just about every four-legged little furry monster out there loves chicken. But I knew that in the dark, I was to be given the privilege of using the flashlight, or as the Brits would say, a torch. I grabbed a hold of this instrument of imminent power as though it was a lightsaber, and I headed out into the dark. And I went down and I rescued those chickens. I saved their little furry backside from all the little fangy beast critters that wanted chicken for supper that night. But on the way back to the house, as I watched the beam of light on the ground, I thought to myself, you know, what would the stars look like if I shined a flashlight at them? a beam of light going straight up into outer space. I stood in awe at my powers. I saw an airplane flying by with its taillights, you know, and I aimed my flashlight at them, and I imagined they could see me as I could see them, and I bathed the fuselage of their craft with my power. No, I didn't. (laughs) But I thought I was doing some good when all of a sudden... In walking back to the house, I stumbled into a monster, my dad. (laughs) He had come out because he'd seen this light waving around, you know, like, Batman, come and help us. And he had come out in the dark with no light of his own to wait for me, his victim that was wasting batteries. (laughs) Son... What are you doing? I used to be a saint when I was a child. I'm sure of it. I instantly shot back, But Daddy, I'm helping the airplanes. Mm, He didn't buy it. Turned the light out, went back into the house. But notice my motive. My motive was good. I was helping the airplanes with my flashlight. Even though they were two miles up in the air, you know, going at 600 miles an hour, in my mind, I wanted to do good with the light I had. Seniors, to be a light when all others go out. What would you do? What are you doing with your light? But just in case you think that I'm a real angel... And that I always use light for the benefit of God and man and pilots. One day in third grade, our reel projector broke with a great puff of smoke and a clattering sound. And my teacher gave me the lens out of the front of the projector. I tore that thing apart. I seized upon this glass orb. I went home and I crafted a handle of my own design, carved it with my little pocket knife. I put that piece of glass in there and I went out to see God's world. Yes, indeed. And I started out at the base of the laurel tree in the garden and I saw that there were ants 
Have you ever seen ants through a magnifying glass? They look gigantic and scary. And I was watching them, and there was thousands of them. Then I noticed this little, uh, this little spot of light moving underneath my lens. And suddenly, little angelic Alvin became Adolf Hitler. <laughs> and I began to let that little dot ride on the back of an ant. Pastor Glassford in the death ray. <laughs> Folks, what is wrong with us? Now, it took just a few little poofs before I began to, to feel guilty. You know, the stench of evil was in my nostrils, and I began to think of Auschwitz and Dachau, and I thought, you know, one thing leads to another, you know, and I, I okay, I didn't think of that. I was in third grade, okay? But nonetheless, my, my heart came to me and said, Alvin, this is wrong. Why is it that we are so complicit with evil when we hate it so much? When there's good in us, how can there be any room for anything bad like that? Have your Bibles. Our text today comes from Psalms chapter 27. I invite you to open up or turn your phone to Psalms chapter 27. We're going to be looking at the entire psalm. It's only... 14 verses. My Bible, the NIV version, it's one page. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, and when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Just imagine David's enemies, blind with rage as they come at him with, with, with cannibalistic lust for his blood. And David's response, look at the rest of the Psalms. When these forces come against him, he says, Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then... I will be confident. And then he slips into three things that he does. He worships. He's praising God. And then he petitions God for guidance. But let's be careful here. I want you to notice something here in Psalms. Look at verse 4 of chapter 27. He says, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. Now watch this. Go to verse 6. And notice what he says. He says, then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me at His tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. Folks, David was not a priest. He had seen a man struck dead for touching the ark. And yet David says, 
I will dwell in the house of the Lord. That is my desire, is to be inside the house of the Lord. He's not able to do that. And so instead of being able to go into the house of the Lord as his heart desires, he stays at the house of the Lord and sings praises to his God. And then, of course, culminates in prayer in verse 7 through 12. He concludes in verse 13. He says, I am confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Verse 14, wait patiently for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. It's as though he turns and sees us watching him. And he says to us, wait patiently for the Lord. Folks, think about this. Is David being theoretical? Is Psalms 27 just an artsy piece of poetry? Does David, or does David take God by surprise with what he suggests in this Psalms? Does God hear David's uh, psalm and think, Oh my, David in, in, in my temple? Uh, wow, that's a new thought. I wonder. Are these the dainty musing of an armchair poet, a curly-headed choir boy? No, not at all. It is actually, Psalms 27 is actually based upon God's covenant with King David that is recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And 2 Samuel chapter 7 is well worth taking a look at. Because David actually builds Psalms 27 on a prayer to which God had said no to. Oddly enough, look at 2 Samuel chapter 7, and we find that David is living in his palace, and he sees God's ark in a tent. David knows about tents. He grew up in one when he wasn't out in the field with the sheep. And he says, you know, I have moved from a field to a tent to a palace. I want to build God a temple slash palace. And his friend Nathan the prophet, knowing David's heart and knowing God's heart, tells David, do it. Know where your heart is. We know your heart is right. Do this thing you've planned to do. Nathan goes home and God says to Nathan, I want you to go back and I want you to tell David that he is not to build me a temple. And instead, I'm going to do for David and his household everything that he has planned to do for me. Read it in Psalms chapter 7. Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says, Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not built in a house from the day I was brought by the Israelites, that I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt. To this day, I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever 
I have moved with all the Israelites. Did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people, Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from following the flock, to be the ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you, you, with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now, I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men of the earth, And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I also will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. A house not just for you, but a house with your son as kings forever. And of course, David, upon hearing this, says simply in verse 18, Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I? Who am I, O Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? That you would do all of these things for me. So in Psalms 27, we find David claiming the promises that God had made to him to be a bulwark, to build a house for him, to be a refuge for him, and to give him peace from all of his enemies. Psalms 27 is snugly nestled on top of God's promises to David like a robin on her nest, a kitten on your lap. So if we are to be a light when all others go out, let us follow David's example and let's claim God's covenant promises to us. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 8, verse 12. John chapter 8 and verse 12. Gospel of John. John chapter 8 and verse 12. Jesus, when Jesus spoke to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, as a teacher, it wouldn't be fair if I didn't tease you a little bit. When you go home this afternoon, after you've done your lay activities, your horizontal meditation, grab a copy of one of those old dusty books, the SDA Bible Commentary, and look up what It says about verse 12. It will blow your mind what Jesus was referring to. I will give you a hint. These words were spoken in the court of the women. All right? So there, there's a little assignment for you. But notice what Jesus says. He says it very clearly. I am the light of the world. Well, 
you guys have said that you want to be a light when all others go out. So how does that work? Are you a light by yourself? Are you better than I am? With my flashlight, I help the angels. With my magnifying glass, I burn God's creation. I got a hunch that Scholzenitschen was right. If we drew a line, it would cut your heart too. So how is it that we can be a light when all others go out? How is it that Jesus can say of us, you're like a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden? Good Lord, there's some things that need to be hidden. Yes? He says, a, 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 a candle, you don't hide it under a bushel. Instead, you take the covering off so everyone can see everywhere and everything. Oh, Jesus, maybe we're not ready for you to take that off just yet. Uh, yeah, let's keep the bushel in place. So what's our hope? What is our hope if we're this mix? Read John with me. Go to John chapter 14. This is our last stop in the text, the Bible text for this morning. John chapter 14, verses 15. Jesus makes an incredible covenant promise with us, his disciples. And it addresses this issue of our complicity with evil. In verse 15 of chapter 14 of the Gospel of John, it says, If you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth, the word cannot accept him, pardon me, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Wow. I will not leave you alone. As orphans, I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you will also live. On that day you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Folks, that's the only way we're ever going to be a light when all others go out, is if Christ is in us. Roy was a young man that worked with the railroads back in the era when the barons were blasting a path west in the United States for the iron horse right through the heart of the Rocky Mountains. And if you were to look up on the web, as I did, because I wanted to verify my story before I told it to you, it gets cold in Colorado, really cold. The higher you go up in the Rocky Mountains, the colder it gets. They've recorded temperatures in the Rocky Mountains in Colorado of 61 degrees minus. So I want you to think about cold. Oh, we're in Michigan. I'm sorry. Just think about Michigan. Actually, Michigan isn't too far behind. They're 51 degrees is our record here in Michigan, minus 51. 
But just imagine real, real, real cold. Imagine a little wooden shack on the side of a mountain with a bunch of men living in it waiting for the morning to thaw the, with the light of dawn so they could go out and build the railroad west. Oh, they were paid well for it. There was gold coin to be earned by driving those spikes and drilling those holes and blasting with dynamite. And if we were to go into Roy's little cabin, you would have been surprised at a collection of odd things in the house. Because, see, Roy had made a discovery. Driving a spike is a hard way to make a living. So at night, he would go to bed very early and get up very early in the morning. It was so cold at night that Roy would tape, and I thought about doing this, but then I thought better of it. <laughs> he would take a candle and tape it to his bare chest, take a box of matches and do the same, wrap himself up in every garment he had, crawl inside of his blankets and go to sleep until about 2 a.m., he would get up, and underneath the covers of his bed, where it was warm from his body heat, he would open up that book of matches. And I'm not going to try to do this. Ooh, should I try to do this with one hand? No, I do not want to set God's house on fire today. So I'm, going, I'm not going to do this under a cover, but you can just imagine a young man lighting a candle in the dark underneath his blanket. Strike the match and he would be able to light that candle because he had kept it warm with his body heat through the night. Some of you, I dare say, have been places where it is so cold that you cannot light a candle. That's how cold it was. With the candle, he would go over and light the kitchen stove. When you opened up the kitchen stove, he'd have a fire all set inside with dry paper and kindling and pitch. Lighting that, the stove would slowly warm up. And then, strange of all strange, he had three containers, as my memory tells me. One was full of water, and he heated that to boiling. One was full of motor oil, and he heated that one up to a about 150 degrees. And then, even stranger, he had a container opened, not sealed, of gasoline. And he would put that on the stove. Hmm, now I've got your curiosity. Why risk all of this? Well, Roy has a plan. You see, Roy had discovered that men like to sleep in in the morning and don't like to get up to start their old Ford cars to make it to the building site. And there was always a mad scramble to start these wonderful machines and get themselves up the mountain. So Roy had a plan. He, he was a tow truck driver, basically, and he discovered they could tow and charge 50 cents a tow to start their cars, and he never had to drive a spike. And he made three times as much in a day as they did, working all day long, and he was back home in bed by 9 a.m. And so his plan was this. 
Every night after work, he would drain all the fluid out of his Model T. All the gasoline out, all the water out, all the oil out. And then in the wee hours of the morning where those fluids warmed up, he would sneak out to his little dinosaur car and infuse it with warm water to warm up the block with hot oil that would actually, you know, lubricate something instead of turning to, to grease. He would then pour gasoline warmed into the tank. And yes, at negative 50 degrees, you cannot light gasoline. Yeah. And so he heated up his gasoline, poured it into the tank, and he would start his car and then go out and tow his friends and make a living. In fact, he did more than just make a living. And in fact, you could say, I was here. I am here today because he was able to light a candle. You see, Roy, uh, he made a fine collection of those golds. And one day he went down the mountain and he met a young woman by the name of Olive. And Olive thought Roy was really handsome. And she also liked the sound of gold coins jingling in his pocket. Mm-hmm. Nah, don't look at me like that, you teenagers. You girls might not succumb to the, 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 the temptation of a young man with gold coins in his pocket, but I would dare say you've never heard gold coins clink <laughs> together. No, 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 for, for my grandpa, the gold coins were like walking around Andrew's Academy with a pair of beats on. Yeah, your man car. Yeah, that, 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 that chick magnet thing you put around your neck and then you slip them up on your heads when Mrs. Leiterman's not looking and you, you listen to your music. Yeah, if you can afford those, yeah, it's like having gold coins in your pocket. But please, let's learn a lesson from my grandpa. You want to be a light when all others go out? Then tape the light to your chest. Hold it close. God's word, God's promises, God's covenant with you to be in you, to be with you, to infuse you with the power of the Holy Spirit is sure. You can bank on it. Oh yeah, I know. Just like David, we're, we want to dwell in the house of the Lord forever and we can't. Okay, we're in a church, but folks, this is a poor approximation of God's home that He has planned for us. We come here to church and we play church. We're play acting. It isn't here yet. And the reason why our hearts are divided with good and evil is because Jesus isn't really all here yet. But did that stop David from listening to his heart when his heart said to him, Seek the Lord. Can we today enter into the very place that David could not by the blood of Jesus Christ? Yes. The very thing that David hoped for has come to pass. And yet with our eyes wide open, looking at the cross, and knowing that we are not there yet, 
We need a hope that God is not finished with us yet. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart. And wait for the Lord. This hope, graduate class of 2016, is the one that will never go out.